Uh, what, a, what a grace to see so many of you that were there on that Sunday. But I so appreciate his heart for the city, for the church of Jesus Christ, and, and to, to see unity amongst the body of Christ. Aren't you tired of the fragmentation in the body of Christ, the division? I mean, it's ugly, right? and, and we should be tired of that, right? We, I mean, it's frustrating, it's, 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 just, it's annoying to see, and it, uh, and it truly is a poor representation of what Jesus said his people would be. Scripture says that, uh, he says, they would know that we are his disciples by what? Our theology, our worship styles, by the way we love one another, right? By the way we love, and that demonstrates the unity of the Spirit that we've been called into. Um, this morning, I've, I'm, I'm going to be sharing, I'm going to be brief, and, and brief for me is an hour. Um, I will be brief, because uh, uh, in all honesty, I really want to hear what the Lord has laid on Pastor Mike's heart for us today. Uh, as we talked and as we thought about this time together, you know, the theme of spiritual renewal and refreshment, you know, is something that we kind of had, had camped on and, and really thought about. And, and we do need that refreshing. There's a lot of discouragement. There's a lot of worry. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of uh, anxiety in the people of God out there. I mean, I'm just scrolling down my, my timeline this morning on social media there. I, the hurt and the, the sorrow and the grief and all of this that's being expressed by, by believers, you know, is, is, it's astounding. It, it speaks to the times that we're in, but it also speaks to the condition of the people of God. And it's a reflection of this reality of, that we truly do need to be renewed spiritually. And uh, true to form, the Lord uh, disturbed me because uh, I had a completely other message in mind for this time. Uh, and yesterday, the Lord messed with me. And I don't, I don't say that to add any more credence or weight to what I'm going to share here uh, or to add any authority to it, just to tell you that that's the Lord messing with me um, and, and uh, inviting me to trust Him in this moment uh, here as well. Uh, I, I'm a teacher at heart, and I, I would be expositing texts and uh, going through uh, exegeting passages, but um, uh, this is an exhortation this morning, not a, really a teaching, not really preaching. It's an exhortation to the people of God uh, today, and I, I do want you to to listen. Uh, uh, this is not a correction of any means. I, I, I'm preaching to myself, I believe, uh, this morning, and uh, you're just invited into that uh, as well. You know, we, we prayed even this morning uh, back in the, in the room here with the worship team and Pastor Mike, and, and at one point there we expressed, you know, a cry for God to revive us, to send revival, to, to, to revive His people, to revive His church, to, to send revival on our city. How, how many of you have prayed for that at one time or another in your life and, and, and asked the Lord to, to, to revive you personally, uh, to renew you, but, but we've prayed for it for our nation, right? How many of you have been praying here, Lord, send revival? Like, what do we need in our country? We need revival. We need the church to be awakened. We need the people of God to be stirred and shaken out of their slumber and their stupor and their compromise, right? And, and to return to the Lord. So, so we pray those things. We, we seek God after those things. We, we cry out to the Lord for those things. Lord, stir us up. Talk to so many Christians, you know, in, in here in the, over the past few months, especially all that we've gone through. Uh, over the past year and a half, talking to talked to a pastor last week who's just ready to kind of throw in the towel. There's so much discouragement. But the people of God 
need revival, need renewal, need refreshment. So much spiritual exhaustion uh, and weariness in the people of God. So the cry is the same for everywhere. Lord, renew us, refresh us, revive us, restore us. And I was thinking yesterday how that, that cry is not unique to the people of God in our time. It certainly has been the cry of people throughout the history of the church and especially of the people of God, Israel. We, we would not be alone in, in desiring renewal and praying for renewal and crying out for renewal in our lives. Scripture is full of the prayers of God's people praying for this very same thing. Psalm 80 uh, gives us a glimpse right into the prayers of God's people here uh, expressed through song. And, and there, the people of God, Israel, is remembering a time when they had spiritual vitality and spiritual vigor, when, when they were alive, where there was joy and there was the, the blessings of God and the divine favor of God expressed over their lives. Those were seasons of great joy. In fact, they described themselves there in Psalm 80 as a vine, which the Lord had carefully cultivated and, and caused to grow that would be a blessing to other people. But now the psalm ends up being a psalm of lament because those times are in the past. The times of blessing and the time of vitality and the time of vigor and joy, they, they were behind them. Right now they're lamenting their spiritual impoverishment. They're, they're, they're asking God to, to revive them again because that season that they're in now is far from that situation that they were rejoicing in over and remembering they cry out to god in verse 18 there of psalm 80 give us life and we will call upon your name what a and it's, it's a cry i mean the, the the grammar there is so strong man it's it's, it's just like a like when we've, we've we've come before the lord and we're broken and we weep and we cry out to god and this is what they're doing here give us life and we will call upon your name then there's this threefold refrain there of this psalm, and it's, it's moving because it captures this deep longing of revival. They pray this, restore us, O Lord God of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved. Let your face shine that we may be saved. They're longing to be revived. They're longing to be renewed, to be turned back to that time of sweet communion and fellowship with the Lord and the divine favor, right? His face shining upon them, which is, the scripture shows us, is the favor of God. So, I, you know, I, I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk. I know where I'm at. I know where some of our folks are. I don't know a lot of you. Um, we're all in different places, but I don't know if that longing resonates in you there. I don't know what you're wrestling with, but I know what I'm wrestling with, and that's, that's just a deep dissatisfaction with the, the state of the church in general, uh, the state of God's people, the state of our country, and frankly, the state of my own spiritual walk. Psalm 85 is another psalm, another song there that are the prayers of God's people for this re reviving again. And in Psalm 85, 6, he says, Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Will you not revive us again? Powerful thing to pray. And it's right to be seeking the Lord this way. It's right to be praying for that. It's right to long for that desire uh, and cry out to God for this. But I ask myself, what, is this, what does this renewal look like? What does this revival look like? The challenge for me in the few minutes I'm going to be sharing here is that this 
can in no way be an exhaustive teaching on spiritual revival or renewal. That, that's, not an, that's not the intent. But I, I do sense something laid upon my heart to, to emphasize and focus on this morning that maybe will provoke you. And I, and I believe what Pastor Mike is going to share is kind of the how-to of it uh, that will lead us further on into that. How and what does this renewal look like? What does genuine renewal look like in the people of God? Now, if I think back to my charismatic Pentecostal roots, which I think a lot of folks in here probably have, revival consisted of revival meetings. Anybody ever have some of those, right? It was camp meetings and revival meetings. So we're like, we'd be praying and we'd say, you know what, we need revival. Here's what we're going to do. Let's have revival meetings, right? So those were special events, special services set up. You'd invite a special guest speaker and this... This dude would be anointed, right, to in evangelism and how to call down fire from heaven and get a response from the people. So, I mean, we'd get revival worship songs going, man. We'd repeat Waymaker's Bridge over and over and over again, 30, 40, 50 times, right? Get the place up to an emotional state and fervor, right? There would be weeping. There would be shouting. I mean, people running around all over the place. Like, if you've never experienced that, you're thinking, that's insanity. It is. It is crazy, Okay. Uh, you know, flags waving, banners waving, you know, people shaking. I mean, all that stuff's going on there. Right? These were revived. I mean, I recall going to so many of those and partaking of so many of those things uh, as a believer there. But, but is, that, is that renewal? Is it just when the altars are filled after the altar call and people are crying out to be baptized in the spirit and in fire? Is, is, is that renewal? Is that revival, right? And, and so these revival meetings would go on. You'd Repeat, you know, every night, right? Rinse and repeat, right? Uh, and you keep doing those until you didn't, <laughs> you know? Could be a week. Some have gone on longer. Eventually, they would end, though, right? Now, I'm not knocking those things. Please don't misunderstand me. I mean, I, I, there's such an important part of my own spiritual history and story. Uh, and the Lord did amazing things in my heart and life, I believe, during those times. And we've seen so many beautiful things through that. Because I know there are times when, right, there's a special presence of the Lord. There's a special touch from the Lord. I, I believe we're experiencing that this morning. I, I, I really feel that, you know, uh, to use emotive language in it. But I know the Lord is doing something in and through uh, what's happening here. And we may not be able to put our finger on all of that, but I know he is. But here's what I, I soon realize after all of these things, you know, that as wonderful as those things are and as, as wonderful as those things were, Seldom did those revival meetings produce any lasting change in my own heart and in the hearts and the lives of the people that participated in them. Like we'd all go back to just kind of like that, whatever our normal state was before that. Feel sometimes, you know, kind of like Moses, right, who was before the glory of God, that his fame was his face, like he had a massive sunburn from the glory of God and he had to hide it. But the scripture tells us that glory faded, you know, faded away. But he wanted to pretend like it was still there. So he kept that veil over his face like, I still got it. I still got it, people. And so we go through this, our, that the emotions of these things wane, and then we're left with it, and we still kind of pretend like it's still there, and we keep going. But is that, is that revival? Why didn't it last? Richard Lovelace uh, wrote a classic work in the late 70s called The Dynamics of Spiritual Life. Uh, and he was a professor of church history, uh, and, his, and his focus was on studying revivals and revivalism over the last 
a few hundred years uh, of the church. And uh, that was his emphasis. And, and in that book, he, he chronicles all these different revivals. And he, he talks about the first great awakening. And he's talking about Jonathan Edwards. Now, Jonathan Edwards was a, a pastor, probably one of the most uh, eminent American theologians, uh, instrumental, like one of the most important figures of the first great awakening there in the 18th century. God used him uh, powerfully. Uh, but Edwards was fascinated with revivalism. I mean, he was really, he wanted to understand this theology of revival and how does it come about? How does it happen? And so not only after experiencing it himself and studying it, uh, Lovely summarizes here Edwards' teaching on revival and renewal. And he says this, for Edwards, revival in his understanding, and I'm quoting, was not a special season of extraordinary religious excitement, not a special season of extraordinary religious excitement, as in many forms of American revivalism. Rather, it is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit which restores the people of God, listen, to normal spiritual life. Normal spiritual life after a period of corporate declension. So what are revivals? Revivals are periods of awakenings in which God graciously, right, mercifully breeds new life, right, into, into his people that have drifted, right, ha have moved away from their spiritual devotion for a lot of reasons, right, indwelling sin, right, a compromise to the world, dead religious works, all of these things, and, and, and the Holy Spirit revives and awakens them. There are cycles of decline, and, and then they lead in God's mercy to cycles of revival. I'm reminded of what happened in, the, in Judges. If you ever studied the book of Judges, that's what that's all about. It's a cycle of decline and depravity and revival and renewal. And the people of God go back again. And it shows us that we need to be continually renewed and continually revived. It is not a one-time thing. It's an all-the-time thing for the people of God. Now, I, I tend to to agree with, with most of that assessment there uh, that Edwards makes. I know more than him, you know. <laughs> no, I, I tend to agree with what he's saying there, that the revival isn't about revving up our spiritual engines and getting hyped up and getting into an emotional state and just kind of willing ourselves into getting back into prayer and sharing the gospel and, and worshiping and all the things that we tend to associate with what renewal or revival might mean. So I tend to agree with that, that it's, it's not those things, trying to get to another level, that, but that revival is, a, is kind of a resetting to our default position, our normal position, the normal Christian life. Now, what is that normal Christian life? Well, we'll talk about that here in a moment. A renewal, a revival, is kind of like a reboot. Reboot of our spiritual system, if you will. It's a control-alt-delete. Now, if you're a PC user, those things are just worn out. Those keys are worn out on your keyboard. Not on mine, because I'm a Mac user, okay? Never had to reboot the thing. But that's kind of what renewal's like, right? We need a, like a reset, or a, a reboot. It's not to get me to this next stage. It's to, I, I'm not even at the baseline, right? I'm down here, I've drifted, and I need to get back to what the Spirit says is the normal Christian life. And when we seek renewal, when we, when we seek for revival in extraordinary encounters, which kind of is what we normally do, these hyped-up meetings, 
we tend to dismiss and we tend to neglect the very things that the Holy Spirit uses to bring about renewal in the first place. And what are those things? Those things are the ordinary means of grace that we see in Scripture over and over again. They're not flashy. They're not sexy. There's no glitter there. It's the ordinary means of grace. That these are the rivers through which true renewal flows. Prayer. Reading the scripture. Doing what we're doing right now as the people of God gathered together. Hearing ministry of the word. Worshiping the Lord through song. Engaging in fellowship with one another. Sharing a meal like we're going to do immediately following this service. Serving one another. Encouraging one another. Giving, generosity, baptism, participation, and communion, the table of the Lord. Those are the ordinary means of grace. As one article I read recently put it, the ordinary means of grace, listen, he says, are the bread and butter of Christian faithfulness. They are also powerful and deep wells of spiritual life. When we want to see the Holy Spirit move, God has told us where we can find it. And it is in the faithful, heart-engaged exercises of these practices. Now, we can get stuck here, though, when we begin to think that doing these practices is what earns me God's blessings and earns me God's favor. Don't misunderstand. Don't twist the gospel. So many people get the gospel wrong here. Those things don't make me God love me more. I've said this before. People don't like it, but it's the truth, I believe. If you never opened your Bible again, Jesus would not love you any less if you are his. But if you were his and the spirit of God indwells you, you'll want to read God's word. The spirit will provoke you and prompt you, right? And there'll be a love for God's word in it. But doing these things does not earn me the grace of God. They're called the ordinary means of grace because there's a conveyance of the work of the spirit in us to sanctify us, to grow us in Christ Jesus but they do not earn us the grace of God. So again, just this is an aside, but don't twist it. But neglect of these things does cause us to drift away from that normative Christian life, thus our need for continual renewal. Now, we're seeing seismic shifts in the church right now. Like, it's crazy. Like, every week I'm like, what's this going to bring? You know, what next, Lord? What, what's happening here? There's a lot of churchgoers and even pastors that are saying some of these ordinary means of grace are really optional for God's people. I mean, they don't really do a whole lot. And uh, consequently, we see a lot of people staying away from the church right now. Uh, like things like gathering and participation in the Lord's table, fellowship, worship together, right? They're drifting away from the very means which the Holy Spirit uses to form and conform us to Christ. Tim Keller defines re revival as an intensification of the normal operations of the Spirit. What are the, some of the normal operations of the Spirit? We see that in Acts, don't we? Convicts people of their sins, right? The, re the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit who quickens us to spiritual life, sanctifying us, right? Producing godliness and holiness in the people of God, giving us assurance of grace, all these things. He says that through the ordinary means of grace, right, is, is how he does. These are the normal operations of the Spirit through the ordinary means of grace, like we just talked about. 
So going to Acts just for a few moments there, because there we see examples here of the default operational mode of the Spirit working in and through God's people. And I don't know about you, sometimes when we read Acts, we read the, the things that happen in there, and we just like, like, that's just amazing. That was like, those are the elite team of Christians there. Now, in the early church, the apostles and all the amazing things we see there, the signs and wonders, and, and we look at those things, and we see that as something removed from what we consider to be the normal Christian life. We, we look at those things as extraordinary, right? A, a level of spirituality and work of the spirit that was unique to those believers in their time. Now, to be clear, the apostolic issues there that happened with the original apostles, that was unique, uh, but not all the things that we see there. We, we, we read and we teach people to read Acts in a descriptive manner, not prescriptive. Descriptive meaning this is what they did, not what we are necessarily commanded to do. But that doesn't mean that we don't Look at that there and see these, these wonderful accounts of the, the work of the Spirit and the Spirit of God moving in and through the people of God there and that it produced in the early church church these, these marks of what spiritually alive people do. The outworking of the Spirit of God. The outworking, right, of, of the grace of God on the people of God in that moment. What we see in Acts truly is baseline. It's the factory settings of, of believers. It's Christianity 101, not in elite special forces level, right? It's operating system, the OS of missional work that God's people have been called to. We know in Acts 1.8, what does Jesus promise his people, his disciples? What does he promise them? He promises them the Holy Spirit. Like, this is what I told you to do, to go out and be my witnesses. The only way that's going to happen is through the empowerment of the Spirit. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We see that, right, happen in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost, boom, Holy Spirit outpouring. Apostles get up. They begin to proclaim and preach the gospel. Thousands are added to the church. Absolutely phenomenal. But what is it that we see and find these spirit-filled believers doing? The apostles are doing their thing, right? Preaching and proclaiming the gospel, uh, and, and there's signs and wonders happening, right? People are getting healed. People are getting delivered, right? God is authenticating the message of the apostles here through these powerful displays, these powerful miracles. But what are ordinary believers doing, not the apostles? What do we find them doing? What do we find them engaged in? Well, let's look at Acts chapter 2. Acts 2, 42 through 47. Here's what ordinary people are doing. And they, or the they, the church, ordinary Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what were ordinary Christians doing? 
Well, they were devoting themselves to what? Hearing the word of God. They were devoting themselves to fellowship with one another, to sharing meals together. They were devoting themselves to prayer, not in their own private prayer closets. This was the church gathered here doing prayer. They were devoting themselves to one another. They were giving generously. They were looking out for one another's needs. They were selling their possessions. By, by the way, we're going to do that after this here. We're going to have a little clipboard going around. Going to sell your possessions. No? They, amen. <laughs> they were devoted to this stuff here, looking out for one another, giving generously, praying the scriptures, right, the apostolic teaching. That's what the ordinary church was doing. And I'm going to submit to you that was no less empowered by the Spirit of God than what the apostles were doing in the proclamation of the gospel in signs and wonders. Is it as glamorous as that? Maybe not. Is it less important? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. This is normal Christian life empowered by the Spirit. These are Spirit-filled believers. And what does that have to do with renewal? It has everything to do with renewal. It was their normal mode to engage in these spirit-fueled practices. They're the outworking of the spirit, right? But they're also the ordinary means of our ongoing growth. The church was thriving under this. Normal Christians doing the ordinary things in the power of the spirit, as Jesus said they would. And when we drift away from these things, when we, when we drift away from the gospel of grace, when our, our Bibles remains closed, when we neglect the gathering of the people of God, when we, when we are seduced by the world and the siren call of our culture to compromise our faith, we are moving away from the baseline and need to be restored, need to be renewed, need to be revived and refreshed. You may have seen this meme floating around here with, with what's happening in Afghanistan. And maybe at the end we will pray for uh, Afghanistan, our brothers and sisters there as well. Not maybe, we will. Um, but you may have seen this meme floating around social media, right? It's, it's this graphic uh, that says, uh, the church in Afghanistan, and this is what they say, we will gather and likely die. Right? Intense persecution happening there. We will gather and likely die. The church in America says this, we will gather... Unless, in parentheses, there's a cookout, birthday party, it's a nice day, or there's a chance of rain, or I'm a little tired, or something. Right? No wonder, no wonder we have need to be revived. No wonder we're crying out for a revival. No wonder why we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our day, in our time right now, for us to be restored to normal spiritual life. Why? Because we've discovered that the experiment of Western cultural Christianity is powerless. I fear for the people of God here in this nation when true persecution comes. That ain't about masks or the vaccine. Genuine persecution to renounce our faith or else you don't work. To renounce our faith or, or, faith or you can't shop. Uh, you're going through the seven churches in Revelation right now. We just did that uh, a little bit of a few months ago there. And this is what was happening to the people of God there. 
It wasn't. They weren't just being asked and, and marginalized just for anything. They were asked to, asked to be renounced their faith and worship false idols, or you can't conduct business. You can't engage and transact in commerce. You can't buy or sell. What's going to happen to us? I pray the Lord revives us before then. I know Pastor Mike has has his heart and his desire to to see the church restored to what it's supposed to be. I mean, it's it's something I believe every pastor wrestles with. Too many stop short, right, of, God, what is this supposed to look like? Like, is Is this what it's all about? Is this all that there is to it? But it's because we've drifted from what normal Christian life and spirituality is supposed to be. A lot of churches in this pre-COVID, in the pre-COVID area function like cruise ships. You know what a cruise ship? How many of you have been on a cruise? We, we've been able to be on, on, on several cruises, uh, and, and we love them. That's like one of our favorite things to do. But on a cruise, what do passengers expect? They expect to be served and catered to their every whim, right? There's a cruise director that's in charge of making sure that you have fun the whole time you're there. Activities and programs, right? And uh, productions and shows and all of this stuff, right? All so that whatever your preference is, whatever you like, you know, it's there for you. We have it for you. Excellent service. Lots of amenities. Like all-you-can-eat buffets, Right? Just engorge yourself all day long. But the point is there that you, the passenger, are the center of attention. It all revolves around you. And the thing is, we don't get that perspective from the early church, do we? We don't, we don't get that idea of, of how we've been conducting church and doing church and thinking this is what we have to do. We have to cater to the preferences of people. They're consumers, right? We drifted. That's not normal Christianity. Where do you see that in the New Testament? Where, where do you see that anywhere in the book of Acts or any of the epistles where this is about me? Peter's saying, hey, listen, guys, when you, when you start your church, do a survey, see what the people want. <laughs> what kind of music they like, what kind of programs they want, and that's, we're going to build our church that way. We're going to attract people, right? They're not asking Christians. They're asking unbelievers, the community at large. What do they want? And then we'll, we'll do that. I don't see that. I don't see that paradigm presented anywhere in Scripture. Because the only thing I think the Lord promised His church was suffering and persecution. And, and that He would be with us, right, through all of that. He'd be with His church through all of that. Like we're looking at those seven churches. Do you see anywhere where Jesus tells them, hey, guys, if your needs aren't being met, right, in Ephesus, you know, check out Smyrna, you know. <laughs> you don't like the preaching there, you know, go to Pergamum, you know. You don't like the worship style, they sing too much, they repeat songs too much, or they don't do your favorite songs, or they don't have programs for this, for kids and, and young adults and, and, and seniors and those in between or singles None of that. What we see is a continual call, right, of of the people of God taking up their cross, following Jesus no matter what. And and it's not about someone offending them or the, you know, the pastor's wife looked at you funny, so I got to leave this church. Jesus calls them to faithful endurance, to hold fast, to stand firm, 
to the end, to overcome to the end, because that's the promises, the rewards for eternal life are for those at the end. But suffering's the pathway to it. Persecution's the pathway to that. We need renewal. We need to be revived. We need to be restored to the joy of our salvation, to the light in the Lord. You know, so just take a couple moments here. How can we move towards renewal? How, how can we move back to normative Christianity? How, can, how do we get to that place? Well, the thing I do know is that we can't manufacture that on our own. We just can't. I mean, there are those who try to manufacture revival, and that's where we get all the lunacy and the idiocy we see in the, in the church. Can't manufacture renewal. We, you know, we can't command God to revive us. Like we, like we can't hack the revival code and get what we want to produce that. It's, it's, it's a work of grace. It's, it's God who sovereignly revives and renews his people. It's a grace of God. It's a kindness of God. It's a mercy of God. To, to awaken us. But I believe what we can do is to put ourselves in a revival-ready mode. Like, God, if you're going to do it, when you're going to do it, may I be ready. May I, may I be ready to respond. May I be ready to do that. And, and the most important, I think, facet uh, of any of this is, is prayer. Like I, It's not going to happen apart from that. Like a diligent seeking of the Lord. It's what we see from the people of God in Scripture. What did they do? They cried out to God for God to do that. To seek the Lord, to ask Him to show us our impoverished condition, our, 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 our drifting away from, from what's normal, and for Him to renew and revive us. Praying that, that He would lead us to repentance from our dead works, uh, to our, our neglect of the ordinary means of grace, to be convicted of our spiritual impoverishment, to be convicted of uh, indwelling sin and besetting sin in our life. We can pray for God to align us to His holy will. We can pray for God to ignite the flames of devotion once again in us. Like We can pray and believe that God will answer that prayer. I believe that's a prayer in accordance to the will of God, which He says He will answer. But the when and the how... That's in the sovereign will of God. That's in His wheelhouse, not ours. A prayer. Secondly, I believe, and is this: don't neglect the ordinary means of grace. Don't neglect those very things that will be the conduit for which continual renewal comes from. I promise you, you stay away from the house of God, the people of God, the gathering of God's people. You will not be renewed. This church wasn't Pastor Mike's idea or my idea. It was Christ's idea. It's his church. It's his people. And he's the one who determined that. Don't neglect prayer. Don't neglect the word of God. There's some of you here who know more about the vaccine and its effects and side effects than you know the word of God. And that's a problem. We spend hours, right, just filling our hearts and filling our minds and being shaped and discipled by the news and social media, but not God's word. Like, how are we going to experience this renewal apart from how, how will we be restored to normal Christian life any other way? 
can't it, it can't happen that. So turn that stuff off. We just need to do that. Get off social media, right? Open God's word. Get on your face before God. Cry out to God to renew you. I believe he's going to answer that prayer in his appointed season and time. But I don't want to leave you with a heavy burden right now. Some of you might be feeling like, I don't even know how to start here. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like reading his word right now. I'm anxious. I'm, I'm, I'm fearful. I'm worryful. But I, I don't have a desire right now. The, the beautiful thing is, this isn't a load you carry on your own. God, Christ has graciously provided spiritual renewal for his people. How do we know that? He gave us a spirit. He gave us a spirit. It, it's the indwelling spirit of God that is going to do the work of God in you and accomplish the will of God in you for his good pleasure. It's the Spirit of God that we're going to turn to and cry out in dependency and say, Spirit of God, we need you to revive us. You need, we need you to convict us of our sin, of our indifference, of our apathy, of moving away, of drifting away from the gospel of grace. And Christ says that it is the Spirit of God who is going to enable you and empower you to be able to live these things out. Holy Spirit will do that work in us. I, I believe that. But it's in the ordinary that the extraordinary work of the Spirit is working in us to transform us from one degree of glory to another. And I pray that, that God in His grace would renew, would renew us, renew our hearts for His glory and our ultimate good for the sake of His name. Amen. I'm going to turn this over to my brother, Mike. I'm going to pray a short prayer. I want you to join with me, if you will, because I want to pray for you. Father, give your church ears to hear what your spirit wants to speak to the churches. In Jesus' name. Brother, amazing job. I take the baton. May I be worthy to run well with it. I want to ask you this morning, have you ever experienced weariness? Uh, physical weariness. Let me just give you a quick example. Just this past Tuesday, let me back up first. I'm used to teaching in our co-op, uh, the high schoolers, some middle schoolers, and so I school them in the scriptures. I want you to know that a 16-year-old this past Tuesday schooled me in what's called paddleball. Anybody ever heard of it? Paddleball. Oh, really? My next question was, how many of you have played it? Because I would have raised my hand. I've heard of it, but I have never played it, so I'm going to put my hand in my pocket. So this 16-year-old by the name of Peter, Peter's over here. Peter, just raise your hand. Okay, he's, he's the famous one, but he schooled me in, in paddleball. 30 minutes in the central Florida, sunny, humid weather at 4 o'clock in the afternoon for 30 minutes, and I was dying. I, I was 
I was literally on the court. He helped me. Okay, maybe he didn't. But uh, if, if given me another 60 seconds, if I didn't call it quits, he would have been. And he would have had to revive me because of that. Um, so I, I could complain about my shoulder and, and such, and that's why. Or I could just say, well, I'm 60 years old. And, but the truth is, I felt like Rocky in the 15th round, right? But the truth is that many of us, we may, we may feel that physical, and, and I think we can, we've experienced that physical uh, weariness, but I want to talk to you this morning about a spiritual weariness. And, and I also want to preface it by saying this, that if we're not careful, just because we live in a fallen world and bad stuff happens to good Christians, true followers of Jesus Christ, that weariness, physical, mental, emotional weariness can impact you spiritually let me take you back a year ago, a year and one month ago, and I'm going to try and share this brief without crying. For 15 years, I had known a young man. I remember the first day, what a squirrely young man he was, like 20 years old, came into our church, and he fell for this girl, and wow, was he awkward in pursuing her. And he would say, Pastor Mike, you know, what do I do? And I would say, chill out. Just go slow. He works for me. I have, I have a pink touch-up, and he worked for me out in the summer heat. And he was an amazing worker. Fast forward about five or so years. He is following Jesus. He is he's so insecure, though. And God, he came to me, and, and God had gotten a hold of his heart, right? His name's Mike. Mike comes to me and he says, Pastor Mike, I, I need God to just deal with my heart, and I don't care what it takes, but there's something that's just so wrong there. I need, him, I, I need you to speak into my life. Whenever you see those symptoms of insecurity, I need you to just pull me aside, put your arm around me, and say, hey, Mike. And God began to do something so amazing in his life. I began discipling him one-on-one. God raised him up as a leader in our church. He had many opportunities to preach until July 13th of last year. And the police showed up at the door. I happened to be in the home where he was living. We owned the home and were renting to them. Garage door was being fixed. I was there. And the police said, I need to speak with Mrs. Jeffords. Three police officers. And I was like, I'm not stupid. Something's not right here. And I said, can you share with me what's wrong? And he said, at 4.30 this morning, Mike was in a car accident and he was killed. My heart just sank. 20 minutes later, when his wife gets home, the police officer shared this with her. And she just crumbles to the floor. She's so broken. She's distraught. Her world just fell apart. For a month, I, I was emotionally numb, to be honest with you. I, 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 there were so many things, and it just wasn't that. So many things going on in the church, uh, and, and I was overwhelmed. And I, I was at the end of myself. But see, I knew what normative Christianity looked like. 
I knew who Jesus was. I knew what he had done for me. I knew the power of the Spirit, and I ran to him. And I camped out in his presence. And I want to talk to you today about the presence of God and what God, I believe, can do in your heart and revive you. Because I'm not the only one who feels like Rocky in the 15th round. You know what I'm saying? And if we're not careful, we're going to get that last punch and we're going to go to the canvas and we're done. And I want to tell you, that is not where Jesus is wanting you flat out KO'd on the canvas. He wants you on the front lines of this battle. And this battle is not something that you can see with your eyes. It is spiritual. You cannot see it. But it is so real. I'm going to venture to say it is even more real than what you have when you look around your world today. And these sports, spiritual forces of evil are beating you up. And I want to tell you, there is, there is hope. There is, there is strength in Jesus Christ. And he purposely sent his spirit to take everything that he accomplished for us by the cross and the resurrection. And he wants to minister and give that to you. And so today, I want to be able to share just a little bit from Acts chapter 3. You're in Acts chapter 2. Just turn the page. I want us to look at Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 is where Peter, from Acts chapter, from uh, after Acts chapter 2 and, and what my brother read, he goes in with Peter and John. Remember, Peter and John went to pray and met a lame man. I'm not going to sing it for you. Met a lame man on the way. He stuck out his palm and asked for an alm, and this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none. Yeah, I'm not going to sing it, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and do what? Walk. When he began to walk, he began to skip, he began to leap. Man, this is amazing. This is what Jesus, because it was in Jesus' name that he was healed, the one that they had just crucified. However many days, weeks, or months ago, we don't know. And so Peter seizes the opportunity to preach to the very crowd that however many months prior had said, crucify him, crucify him. I want to read to you. I'm not going to read the whole message to you, but in Acts chapter 3, I want to share something with you because I'm not the only one who has been down this road and we felt like we were rocky in that 15th round. What can the Spirit of God do for you today and tomorrow and next week and next month and next year to breathe life into your weary soul? Peter has a word for you. In verse 17, he says, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Verse 19, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And the Greek there means to come from the presence of the Lord. If you have an NASB, it, it literally says that. Kudos for them. 
and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Verse 21. Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to do what? Restore everything. All things, literally, all things. I'm going to suggest to you that that time is when Jesus finally comes back He obliterates all that is not in accordance with his kingdom and he creates a new heaven and a new earth. And then is when he's going to restore everything. That word restore in the Greek was regularly used with referring to the position of certain heavenly bodies in the night sky. And when that planet was restored, it would, they believed, travel around the earth, and then be restored to its original position. So it means complete restoration and restoration to its original. This is going to happen when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom in a new heaven and a new earth. We, or, or all things, including us, will be completely restored. But we read something about times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And we're going to see that that initiates at that moment in which you make this decision, by grace, through faith, we are saved. What do we do, however, between now, at that time in which you made that decision to follow Christ, and then when all things are restored? There are times of refreshing that God wants to give to you. What do we do between now and then? Well, first of all, Peter challenges them. Two things, two verbs, action verbs, something you got to do. You can't sit on your hands. Repent and turn. So where is your heart today? He's asking them. You just crucified several months ago. You crucified the Lord of life. He died, and I love the way he puts it in Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 24, I believe it is, in which he says, death couldn't hold him down. And it uses the word, the verb form of dunamis. It's like death, it was utterly impossible and incapable, unable to hold him in the grave. Couldn't do it. And by the power of God, raised him from the dead, all right? He says, in view of this, you need to change the way you think. You need to repent. Something needs to happen. Your will needs to be broken. Your focus in who he is, it needs to change because he is not this cult leader that you believe he is. He is the Lord of life. He is Jesus. He is Savior. Repent. The good works of repentance follow. John the Baptist challenged the Pharisees, bring forth repentance or bring forth evidence of your repentance. So repentance that I'm talking to you about this morning is God needs to just, first of all, change your heart. And then you turn. And this isn't the typical Greek word for turn. It actually means to turn around or to 
return or to turn back. It's not to turn left or turn right because before I met Jesus at age 14, I thought I was a believer. I went to church all of my life. I'm sure the the week after I was born, I was in church. My dad was a choir director and I went to church every Sunday when I played sick. Just listen in closely. But when I played sick, my mom would stay home and read the Bible to me. I couldn't get away from it. And, and, but eventually, at 14, it's like, I got it. I got it. Jesus died for my sins, Mike Curtis, because I was like the Israelites in Egypt, and I was lost in my sin. Sin mastered me. It controlled me. As much as I wanted to do good, can I, can I just play with your theology a little bit? I gave my heart to Jesus when I was 8, 10, 12, and finally when I was 14. When I was 14, that's when I got it. That's when it's like, hello, this is what Jesus did for you. And I repented, and I didn't just turn like this. I turned like this. And, and God did something in my heart. I want to tell you that when God does that, he promises that your sins are going to be wiped away. Now, understand this. Number one, this verb to wipe away in the Greek, it's called the aorist. And that simply means not only is it past tense, but it is something that's done one time. It's not something like in the present tense in the Greek, it happens over and over. Continuous action. Happens one time, it's done. Your sins are wiped away one time. You don't need to keep having your sins wiped away. The blood of Jesus is good when you were saved. It's good for you now and it's good for the future. All your sins wiped away. Nothing that you need to do, but everything that he has already done for you. He wipes those sins away for good. Nothing can stand between you and in your relationship with God. Even though today when you sin, you may feel shame and guilt. Jesus paid for all of that. So when I came to Christ at age 14, he wiped my sins away for good, completely. And I want to tell you this, that when Jesus wipes your sins away, he does something absolutely profound. We discovered in, in Ephesians chapter 2, in which it says that you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That is the power of sin in my life. It kills me. It kills me. I'm a walking, I was a walking dead man. I guess they call them in those video games zombies, don't they? But regardless, I was a walking dead man, and God needed to breathe life into me. Paul uses this term, so interesting, the washing of regeneration. Titus 3, washing of regeneration. See, you, you, the washing away of your sins that makes you, excuse me, your sins that make you dead and disconnected with the life of God, that needs to be washed away in tandem with God making us alive. You cannot be alive without your sins being washed away. And in order for your sins to be washed away, he makes you alive. And as these two 
theological concepts happened in this young man at age 14. My sins are washed away, no longer counted against me. I'm made alive in Christ. I am now in relationship with the life giver. This happened a long time ago. This, and, and I just need to tell you, though, there's a promise that follows this that Luke purposely focuses on throughout this book, and it is this work of the Spirit. For some reason, he does not so much focus on the work of the Spirit concerning the forgiveness of sins, though that is what the Spirit does. He doesn't so much talk about the the life that the Spirit gives us, though that is what he does. He regenerates us. He makes me born again, a new creation, as Paul put it. Though the Spirit sanctifies me, Luke, in this book, chooses not to attribute it to the Spirit or focus on that, though it's obviously true. He focuses on this empowerment. He focuses on this life and this power that now it, I don't want this to sound new age, it it energizes me. It fills me with life and this ability to be able to move through anything that the devil throws at me because I'm seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and I, I love people and I want to give them this precious truth, this life of God. It's for them and, and I want to share it with them. And so we call that a witness. But here's the promise. Once you repent, once you turn back, God washes away your sin, the washing of regeneration. This life that is yours. Now here's the promise. Are you ready for this? And I just want to camp out on this concept for a while. Times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. And if you're tracking me, if you understand, if you can identify that, been there, done that, as far as the weariness, because not just physical weariness, I'm talking about spiritual weariness. You need to listen. This word, times of refreshing, notice it's in the plural. Do you see that? Times of refreshing. I want to be careful just how much I get into this, but the word time is found again in verse 21. Until the time comes for God to restore all things. Different Greek word. But here's the uniqueness. This concept of kairos, this time, concept of time, is like an opportunity. It's like a season. It's not chronos in verse 21 where it's like event after event or a time frame. You can date it type of thing. Chronos, we get chronology. Kairos is a season. And I want to just say this. God wants to bring you through those seasons of refreshing. But for there to be seasons means that there are times in which because we live in a fallen, cursed, broken world, we come to this place, like Rocky in the 15th round, we come to this place of weariness. 
and, and sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes we have stumbled into sin and we've resisted the spirit and he's calling us back. And maybe some of you, that's exactly where you're at. And I want to call you out of that because God wants to continually demonstrate the washing away of sins, but he wants to breathe new life into you, okay? And so some of this refreshing or need for it is because you have stumbled and you've wandered away from the Lord and he's calling you back today. There are other times in which the enemy, he, he sets you up. The boss pulls you into his office, and he reams you out. In fact, you don't even believe a single word that he said. He's ready to fire you. You feel like you're walking on ice, eggshells. When's the, when's the other shoe going to drop, and you're wondering, am I going to get fired? For some of you, you went through an experience that our whole church went through an experience that I talked about a year ago when my close friend, Mike Jeffers, passed away. Oh, that hurts so deeply. And when these things happen one after the other, tell me this is not true. Many times we think, God, where are you in this? Have you abandoned me? We, we want Jesus to be, remember when Jesus calmed the storm and he, he was asleep, he woke up, and was like, as if to say, I'm reading between them, like, guys, come on. This is a simple one. Just speak the word, right? Come on. And he saw their lack of faith, and so he just says, peace, be still. Peace. You're wondering, Jesus, where are you in my boat? Because I need you to speak that word. God, where are you? And if we're not careful with these questions, they start leading us to doubt making us feel rejected. Can I just tell you, you are not rejected. I don't care how you feel, but you are not rejected. Jesus has not abandoned you. He, he, you may think he's asleep in the back, but he's there with you in the boat, and he's going to speak that word. But there's something that needs to happen in your heart. There's a decision that you need to make, and, and it's not just a one-time decision. It is not an emotionally based decision, or I hope it's not. It is this thing called faith that he wants to stir up in you. And I'm going to pray that God is going to stir up that faith in you this morning. Stir up this faith. God, I'm needing refreshment right now. Acts 4.31. Here are the people. They've already been filled with the Spirit. That's the terminology used in chapter 2. The terminology in, that is used in chapter 1 is that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Here they, they, they've, they've received the Spirit and the Spirit's power, and yet they say in chapter 4, verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Man, I, it is in that place of being filled with the Spirit that they are empowered, that something happens. I believe a refreshment begins to be poured out upon them. They were just persecuted. In the very next chapter, in chapter 5, they're beaten. And they walk away rejoicing. Woohoo! We were counted worthy of being able to suffer for the name. Is that, is that a determination? Is that the cry of your heart that no matter what you face in life, no matter how hard it comes at you, that you say, 
thank you, Lord, that I've been counted worthy of the name to be found in this hardship because God is doing something. And I want to tell you right now, there is something he's calling you to do. And I want to look at that. Turn with me, if you would, turn with me to Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47. Now, if you've ever read this section of scripture, in Ezekiel 40 through 48, give me one moment, we discover something. God is, or an angel, is giving Ezekiel a pattern for the temple and the temple court. It's different than the tabernacle. It's different than Solomon's temple. It's different than the future temple that Herod uh, built or restored. It's different than that. And I'm going to just tell you this. It is a prophetic image of the perfections of Christ who is that if you destroy this what temple i'll raise it up in three days and that temple is christ and we are then called to be that temple as well ephesians 2 says we are rising to become a holy temple in the lord so he gives this prophetic imagery of the temple that is christ that we are to be like and in chapter 47 and i suppose i should probably turn to it as well seeing that i'm going to preach on it and in chapter 47, Ezekiel notices something. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, okay? I'm going into the Old Testament, but he gives such a beautiful image of what then takes place throughout the book of Acts that I believe the Spirit of God, for many of you, you're weary. He wants you to experience it over and over and over again. Because I'm sorry, but what I'm sharing with you, this refreshment that is yours, you're going to come to another point in your life in which you just feel depleted. Because that's not going to stop until all things are restored. So what do you do between now and then? Listen to me now. This, there is a, he has a picture of the temple. And from the south side of the temple, there's a, a stream. The angel marks off a thousand cubits. Symbolic, of course. And then he walks into this stream and it's ankle deep. The angel marks off another thousand cubits, and he wades in, and it's knee deep. Then he measures off another thousand cubits, and he wades in, and it is waist deep. He marks off another thousand cubits, and guess what, church? He walks into the river, and he cannot stand on his own. The current is so strong, it pulls him off. You have to swim across, and he uses it. It's uncrossable. In other words, in my own human effort, I can't do it. There is something about this river that's coming from the presence of God that is overwhelming and will take me. Will, I believe, we're, I'm, I'm, I don't want to jump ahead. I'm not going to say anymore. I, want, I just want to read the passage to you. Ezekiel chapter 47. Starting with verse 5, he measured off another thousand, but that was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and it was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. By his own human effort, he couldn't do it. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Now understand, he's still in the water. And the angel asks him, do you see this? What is it that he sees? Actually, follow me, he sees two things. The thing that he sees immediately 
is that this river can't be crossed. He waded in and his feet gave way. He can't stand in it anymore. It is beyond his personal ability to cross it. So what does he do? He heads back to the bank. Notice something there. When he stands on this bank, then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw, son of man, what do you see? I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down toward the Arab. The Arabah is that section just north of the Dead Sea. It's where the Jordan River flows into it. It's plush. It's beautiful. Talks about it in Genesis 13. And it, it, it's beautiful. So it's heading there. But I think you're familiar with the Dead Sea. It's dead. There's nothing that lives in it. It says, to the Arabah, where it enters into the sea, that is the Dead Sea, when it empties into the sea, listen to this, church. The water there becomes fresh. In the Hebrew, that word literally translated means healed. This water that is so salty, nothing can live in it. It's healed or becomes fresh. And it says, swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. Do you picture that? There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh, healed. So where the river flows, everything will live. Everything will live. Where this river, and I'm going to suggest to you that this river is the work of the Spirit flowing from the very presence of God. It says in Acts, the very chapter that I was reading from, in verse 15, it says, or, or excuse me, in, in Acts chapter 2, it says towards the end of Peter's sermon that the, that the Son ascended to the Father and gave the promised Holy Spirit to his son to be poured out. And if you read that sermon, it's poured out upon all flesh. This is the Spirit, and he's flowing from the very presence of God, and it is, its purpose is to revive. This word refresh that I, I spoke to you about in chapter 3, verse 19, that word refresh means to again Breathe life. Refresh. The Greek word literally means re or again and to breathe. And that's what the Spirit does. He not only regenerates us, but when you are weary, Rocky in the 15th round, he breathes life into you over and over and over. And it goes so much beyond the emotional church. It is something that you can walk in and that's something that can change you and it's something that can refresh you and literally revive you. Refresh, revive you. Because that's what that Greek word means. So here's this river. It's flowed, this presence of God, the spirit of God flowing. And he walks in and it's ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep. And can I suggest to you that the Spirit of God is fully available to you. But you can make a choice. Are you going to walk in ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep? Here's the difference. That when he reaches that point, 
in which it's uncrossable in his own strength, he can't do it. And that's where many of you are, in your own strength. You cannot do it. And over and over, do you know what faith is? Faith is very simply saying, God, I can't, but I know that you can. That is the simplicity of, yes, it's relational, it's active, but it is this yielding, this surrendering. Pistuo, the Greek word literally means to commit oneself to. I can't do this. Where you are in this season of weariness, God wants to bring a new season in your life, a new time in your life. Over and over, he wants to minister this life to you by his spirit. But if you think that you can do this in your own strength and go to uh, Books a Million, is Books a Million still around? Help me out. Did they go belly up? I, I don't know what's out there. Anyway, I go online. I buy all my books through Amazon anyway. So you go on Amazon and the best, you know, the top 10 best-selling books. And, you know, yeah, these are self-help books. I'll, I'll be my own man or my own woman and I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps and I can do this. And you know what? God wants to cut that concept, that, that reliance upon self out from under your feet, because the point is you can't. You must be completely dependent upon and reliant upon having faith in Jesus Christ. That's the invitation. Don't simply walk in the spirit in ankle or knee deep or waist deep but go to that place where it sweeps you off your feet. It's uncrossable. This is where the spirit takes over. This is where you say, God, I just let go. And you're on your knees and you're crying out to him. Literally, you're just saying, God, I can't. I'm at the end of Mike Curtis and I need your help right now in my life. That's where he wants you on your knees. My brother talked about prayer because, see, that is where I connect with God. And I say, God, help. I can't do this on my own. I'm just, I'm letting go. It doesn't mean you don't try. It just says, God, I need you totally. Because the Mike Curtis way ain't cutting it. It's not working. This refreshment, just listen to what I'm saying, does not come from a wonderful vacation. I love vacations. Man, that's a time for me to get away and be with my family. But that does not necessarily spiritually restore me. It doesn't necessarily come from retirement or a cold glass of sweet tea, the only way God created tea to be made. It doesn't come from lunch break at work or a relaxing weekend, and I love those, but you know what? It comes from meeting with God and, and every day in that time with God saying, refresh me, God. Can I just tell you, when, when I went through what I did, when the passing away of my brother Mike, and just all the stuff that was going on, feeling like this is just overwhelming. I wanted to just pack it in, throw in the towel, and I had to press into God every single day. And, and, and I, I want to ask you this morning, what are you willing to do right now because it is so easy to go through life in your own strength only to realize that never works are you willing to truly and completely surrender to God maybe you're still caught up in the sin 
and it is tanking you. And he's calling you out of that to trust in him and just say, God, I can't change me and I need you. Then I'm going to call you and I'm going to say, then cry out to him this morning. Cry out to him and say, God, please set me free. I want to experience this freedom and this refreshment right now today. And I want to do it tomorrow morning and next week and next month and next year. I want to walk in that. Give me that season. Maybe it's just a lot of stuff in life that's coming against you. Lies of the enemy that you're starting to believe. And Jesus is saying, I am the truth. You need me. You don't need all of that self-help remedies that's out there in all of those books. You need me. If you could just boil it all down to the truth, it's the truth that's found here that's for you. Look to him, rely completely upon him, and step into that river that will sweep you off your feet. Stop wading in the ankle-deep, knee-deep, and waist-deep water. It's when you fully rely on him and trust him. Amen, church? So this is where I'm going to call you to right now. We're going to close in prayer right now. And I'm, I'm, we're going to... You can come to the altar and you can say, okay, God, I, I, I want to renew this commitment to you. I want to fully trust in you. I'm going to step into this raging river, the spirit of God. I want to be refreshed from you. And it is not something that you do or you manufacture. It is something that you surrender to and say, spirit of God, fall upon me and change me. Heal me. Everywhere the river goes. It brings healing. It brings life. Is that what you want? If, if you're still outside of his kingdom, he calls you to Jesus and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I will give you rest in me. I will give you strength and renewal and revival. Let's pray. Can you just stand with me right now? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Father, I thank you for what my brother shared. Thank you for the truth of your word. And just right now, I want to give an open invitation to anyone who would say, I, I need to take the stand. I, I need to stop relying on myself. I need to look to Jesus for everything. I'm just going to encourage you as the Spirit of God is wanting to speak to your heart and minister to you. If you want to be prayed for, we want to do this for you. Whatever struggle or hardship you're going through, we want to stand with you in prayer. I'm just going to encourage you. If that's what you are seeking, to, to come to the altar and we want to pray for you. You can do it where you're sitting. That's up to you. Spirit of God can move wherever you are. He's looking at your heart and he's saying, how are you wanting to respond to me right now? So Father, right now, I just pray for hearts that would be humbled before you and respond and say, yes, Jesus, now is this time. I'm going to take this step and, and I'm weary trying to do it on my own strength. I'm, 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 I'm over this. I just ask you, Father, that you would minister to hearts this morning.
Father, I want to thank you right now for how you have ministered to my heart in those times when I needed to be revived and refreshed by your spirit. You did this, God. And you're continuing to do it. And I still need to go back to that place where the, the, the river is just overwhelming and brings life everywhere. Spirit of God, speak to our hearts. Give us ears to hear. Hearts that are willing to respond. Thank you, Lord. As Marla, or, or sorry, okay. As the piano is being played right now, I'm just going to encourage you if you want to come forward. Dan and I and others, we're, we're going to be here. We want to pray for you. We're going to keep the lights dim uh, for that opportunity of ministry. Can I please encourage you that if you need the Spirit of God to revive and refresh you, don't leave without Him doing that, okay? To walk in this. Amen. So, Father, I just pray your blessing upon every single one of us, God. That you would speak to our hearts. Even time around food, that you would encourage us. Give us words that would speak life and encouragement to others in their difficult times. Bless us here, Father. Let's build up your body. We love you so, so much, God. Father, for those in Afghanistan that are going through this absolutely difficult time, they're in need of you to intervene, Father. I ask you, Lord, that however it's done, that you would send them rescue in Jesus' name. And that, Father, especially for believers in Jesus, that you would provide a way to lead them out. But come, Father, however you choose to provide, bring them out of Afghanistan safely. Lord, I pray that you would sovereignly protect them in Jesus' name. Bring a testimony to your name, Lord God, through all of this. In the name of Jesus.